Welcome to the Brentwood School Podcast, the place where we talk to staff, parents and pupils to find out more about life within the school. This is the place to keep up to date and in touch with our community. So let's get into this episode right now of the Brentwood School Podcast. Welcome to this, the first of the Brentwood School Podcast. It's always exciting to go behind the scenes at a school and to get to know it better. And of course, one of the best ways to do that is by getting to know the people at its heart. And I couldn't start with a better person. We're starting today with the headmaster, Michael Bond. Hello, headmaster. Good afternoon, Tracy. How are you? Am I allowed to call you Michael or Mr Bond? Of course, you can call me Michael. (laughs) Oh, I was hoping you were going to say you can call me Mr Bond. That would be wonderful. (laughs) So, Michael, what makes you tick? Tell me what makes you tick as a headmaster. Well, I guess it sounds a bit of a cliche, but I, I do genuinely think being a headmaster and indeed teaching is a privilege. It, it affords the opportunity to help create culture and strategy. And if done well, certainly being ahead, I think it can have a significant and positive impact on hundreds, if not thousands of people. And I think the same holds true from being a teacher as well. And certainly I sort of fell into teaching. My mum was a teacher. Uh, I had no grand plan. I just got to my third year of university and thought I, I need to do something next year and I'm not sure what. So I thought, well, my mum seems to uh, like teaching, so I'll give that a go. And I sort of fell into it. But pretty much from day one, I, I, I decided that it was definitely the career for me. And it's just great working with young people. You know, they challenge us, but they also inspire us as, as teachers. And, you know, out of the mouths of babies, you know, they come out with the, the most fantastic comments and viewpoints. And I think, you know, no two days are ever the same. And it, it retains that sort of refreshing element that I think a lot of jobs perhaps don't. Now, I understand that you're a prolific reader and you, you do a blog. So tell me more about your reading habits, how you get time to read so much and, and how does it feed into your blog? Well, I'm surprised to be called prolific reader. I always think that I'm a bit of a failure when it comes to reading because my list of books to read is always bigger than my capacity to get through them. I am a, a definitely a prolific buyer of books and uh, I go through periods when I seem to be able to get through more than, than at other times. But you know, I, I do love reading. Uh, I love reading a range of different things. I, I tend to flip between books on sort of leadership and culture and ideas and you know improvement, if you like, self-improvement to uh, fiction, including sort of historical novels. And I tend to you know have my fill of one genre and then have a bit of a break by reading something else. But I do, I do subscribe very much to the the idea that readers make leaders. It's something that I talk to young people about quite often because, you know, there's just so much out there in terms of ideas and inspiration. And, you know, none of us, you know, no man is an island and all that, you know, none of us have all of the ideas. And I think we, we, we do well to absorb suggestions, ideas from, from other people. Can you tell me what you're reading at the moment? Well, I've just actually finished what I think is an extraordinary book called Humankind. Um, It was recommended by one of our heads of year. And it's all about a sort of a a counterweight to the idea that human beings will always naturally gravitate towards the bad choices and the negativity. And actually, it's a series of examples of where human beings, both in the past and in the present, have done the opposite and, and have risen uh, to the challenges that they've been faced and, and in quite many, many, in many ways, inspiring examples. So that's a book that I would highly recommend with examples from, it talks about the real life Lord of the Rings, not Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Flies, I beg your pardon. It talks about examples of apartheid in South Africa. Um, it talks about, even goes into sort of Nazi Germany and people who sort of, you know, rose above the sort of evil that was uh, emanating from that regime. So uh, humankind is, is definitely one that I would recommend. 
Sounds very positive to read. Now, I know you hail from up north, not really up north, and you're from the, the nicer, the northeast. Do you notice a north-south divide at all? That's a really good question. I've, I've worked and lived in the northeast. We've also worked and lived in Wales and then in Hertfordshire and now in Essex. And I would probably describe it less as a north-south divide, but more of a regional sort of divide. And, and certainly I would suggest from my own experience that, of course, we're talking in generalizations here, but uh, generally there's quite a lot in common from people of the northeast, people of Wales, and indeed people from Essex, I would say. I think, you know, if, if I had to sort of summarize what they have in common, I think it's a sort of a willingness and a, a, an appetite to uh, tell you how it is, to tell you what they really think, be straight with you. And if you're straight back with them, I think people respect that. And I, I don't think people from any of these areas have mentioned, particularly like, you know, going around the houses, I think they like to be engaged in a more direct manner, which I like as well. Do you find that helps you? In school, I do. I, th I think, yeah, I, I do. And I think I've worked in other places where perhaps that's not been as much the case, where people have been a little bit more standoffish. And I uh, maybe it does help me. I've never lived in Essex before I, uh, I joined Brentwood School. But one of the things that has struck me is that, you know, that I was brought up to say what you mean and to say it authentically and genuinely and kindly, but, but also directly. And I think people in this area subscribe to that sort of set of values, actually. And dare I ask, from the North East, who do you support? Oh, there's only one team that, that <laughs> anyone in the North East should you support. You may that say is, that. <laughs> and that is, of course, Newcastle United. Long-suffering, then? <laughs> long-suffering, very, very long-suffering. So my, uh, most of my family have had uh, season tickets. I had a season ticket in the 90s when it was a glorious time to be a Newcastle United fan. My son, who's 18, is actually, after 18 years of trying to get him into football and failing, he's now decided that he does want to do that. So we're back on the, the wagon, if you like, and we're going to watch games again. So uh, it's very much in the blood and in the family uh, lineage to be a Newcastle United fan. Albeit, uh, I went to school in, in Durham, and I think apart from my best friend who lived across the road, virtually all of my friends were Sunderland fans. So there were some lots of interesting discussions in my youth about football. See, that may be why you've risen to headmaster there. You, you already were happy to be, you know, sort of follow your own path, as it were. That's a good way, but I like it. Yeah, you, yeah <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Thank you. So you've been headmaster since 2019, I think, yes? That, that's correct, yeah. Tell me what you're most proud of at Brentwood School. I think, you know, we are blessed with fantastic facilities, a fantastic campus, fantastic buildings. But I always say a good school is made into a great school by the people, by the students, by the staff, by the governors, by the parents. And, and, and genuinely, this is a wonderful community, not because we have great buildings, although we do, but because we have great people. And, you know, that has been brought home in bucket loads, really, with the advent of the pandemic. You know, we, we made a, a choice as a community at the beginning of the pandemic that we were going to really step up and deliver what we delivered before the pandemic, which is a sort of first class education. But we were going to basically run a full school, full timetable with as many activities as we could from our various homes and offices and so on. And, you know, I'm really, really impressed and privileged to lead a community that, that I believe has, has, has more than risen to that challenge. And I think it, it has shown us what we're capable of. And it's been an exercise in the art of the possible. So I think I'm proudest of, of the people who I'm lucky enough to call my colleagues and, and our students. We talked a little bit about why you became a teacher. Why did you become a head teacher? Well, I was always quite an ambitious person, even though I didn't really have a, a plan for w which career I was going to go into. 
So once I decided that teaching was for me, I, I, I am, rightly or wrongly, one of these people who's, who thinks, right, well, what do I want to be at the end of my career or by the time I uh, get to the height of my career, if you like? And um, so I did decide early on that, that I would like to be a head teacher. And I think it goes back to what I said earlier. You know, the distance between myself and the classroom has grown uh, inevitably as a head. The ability to put the big pieces of the jigsaw, or at least lead on the big pieces of the jigsaw in terms of culture and strategy, which you can then see unfold and benefit young people and indeed colleagues, I think is, is it, it, you know, it gets me up on a morning and, it, and it, it really excites me, especially when you can see the sort of tangible sort of examples of that. So I think the ability to influence positively as I say, over the years, hundreds, if not thousands of youngsters and colleagues is, uh, is something that, that really appeals to me. I think of no better reason, really. Now, you followed your mother into becoming mm. a teacher. Did you have any other aspirations? Is there anything you might have become instead? Well, obviously, obviously, it, my heart would say a footballer for uh, Newcastle United. And I, I, I was never, ever going to be a professional footballer. Although I did play quite a lot in my youth and I did have a couple of trials for a couple of clubs, but um, nothing that was ever going to go anywhere, really. So I lived the dream temporarily, but that was never really going to happen. I guess if I hadn't become a teacher, I've often thought about this question. I do like a good debate and a good sort of uh, friendly argument, if you like. So I think possibly a politician or possibly you know, a diplomat or in the foreign office or something like that. I think that, that might have been an attraction had it not been, had teaching not called. <laughs> well, there's time yet. A few vacancies <laughs> going, I should think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so, sure I'd be up for I'm not sure I'd be uh, <laughs> up for it at the moment, but uh, I think maybe there will be a need, uh, surely. Who knows? <laughs> so what was your favourite subject at school and why? Well, history uh, is the subject that I, I qualified in in terms of teaching, and I did ancient history and classics at university. And I think, I guess, the, the biggest reason that I've always loved the subject is is, is the story, really. It, 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 it fascinates me. The stories always fascinate me. That's why I enjoy reading, I guess. But also, one of the things that really attracts me about studying history is that as different uh, as the past was to the present, the vast majority of people have always been and are still motivated by the same things. So you can look at a different uh, era and, you know, they're saying that the past is another country, they do things differently there. But actually, when you look at the characters and the actors uh, in the story, they're motivated by you know, much the same as, as, as people are nowadays. And that sort of juxtaposition of difference and similarity uh, has always fascinated me uh, about history. Yes, it's all about people, really, at the end of it. Absolutely. People, uh, yeah, absolutely is. Now, we've been talking about reading as, as one of the things you do. What else do you do to relax outside the school gates? Uh, very active. I find that it, it, it's my sort of my release, if you like. You know, I, I, I do some level of fitness every day, usually uh, either running or go to the gym. I read books, as we said. I do watch a lot of sport. I gave up playing um, football a number of years ago when I was tending to get more injuries than uh, was good for me. But I do like keeping fit, and, and I think it's very important to me. Uh, spend time with my family and we acquired a few years ago uh, a dog first time we'd ever had a dog and he uh, is definitely the boss in our household and um, <laughs> more or less dictates what we do when we do it and where we go so uh, but those those things sort of fill my days alongside obviously what is a very busy uh, and enjoyable job and I was going to ask what's the most surprising thing about you that people may not know maybe the dog is there anything else people <laughs> may not know that you're prepared to reveal actually? yeah right. um, <laughs> I guess I think if you ask people 
whether I'm an introvert or an extrovert. I think most people would say I'm quite I'm quite an extrovert that I enjoy being in in company and and sort of you know holding a, a holding a discussion and so on. And I do, uh, but I uh, I really enjoy spending time alone and and thinking. I, you know, I tend to come up with some of my best, what I think are my best ideas when I'm, you know, out running or just walking the dog. And I do like my own company. You know, I do like reading and I do like contemplating sort of life, I guess. Um, and I think most people would probably find that surprising because I do enjoy a good discussion and a good debate. But in terms of what energizes me, I, I do like a bit of time on my own to think as well. So I think that would probably be what uh, would surprise people. So if we were doing another show all together, you'd be perfectly happy on that island then? I think I would be, yeah, yeah, for a while, <laughs> certainly for a lip for a time. As long as I had plenty of books, plenty to listen to, and some sport to watch, I think I'd be okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I won't ask you for your tunes. Don't worry, I promise. I must, I must, I must put a, a rider in there, though. Obviously, I would like to have my family with me if I possibly could. <laughs> yeah, just in case they're listening. Yeah, <laughs> just, just as well. Now we did touch on the the politician in you, mm-hmm. so I'm actually going to award you. You are going to get the premiership. I'm going to award you prime minister for a day, and I'm going to ask you what's the first thing you'd do. Oh, well, thank you very much. First of all, that's uh, that's uh, very good of you. Um, <laughs> Slightly goodness. poison chalice. Well, I, and I think I think recent history would probably support this this move. I, I tell you what, I would do. It would take longer than a day to uh, implement. But what I would do is I would I would keep the Palace of Westminster. Clearly, I'm a history teacher. There's a lot of history and tradition in there. I wouldn't I wouldn't demolish it. I would definitely keep it. I'd probably keep it as a living museum, and I'd build a new Parliament, and I'd build it uh, in a semicircle debating chamber, and I would ban shouting at each other um, and I would uh, try and uh, emphasise the importance of finding the things we have in common rather than the things that uh, divide us, as uh, Joe Cox famously uh, famously said. So I think the adversarial nature of politics, I think, is is totally out of date, totally inappropriate, and I think it does very little, actually, uh, for our democracy. So I would, I would build a new parliament and I would make it in a semicircle like some of the more modern chambers are, and I would focus on um, stopping shouting and starting listening a bit more. Sounds a wonderful idea. And I was going to ask you too, if you had a, a magic wand at the moment, something in school, something you could instantly do tomorrow, what would you do for Brentwood School? We have a very big, very ambitious bursary programme for young people from disadvantaged backgrounds. And that was one of the big things that attracted me to the school. I, I didn't uh, attend a private school. I went to a comprehensive school, but I've worked almost all of my career in independent education. And I've seen the power and the transformatory uh, impact it can have on young people. And we already have a very large bursary programme here. But if I could wave a magic wand, I would you know, increase it, I don't know, tenfold, a hundredfold, because we always have many more worthy candidates than we're able to support and some of these young people um, it would potentially transform their lives and uh, and yeah that's what I'd do I'd wave some I wand get some more money and I would give it to our, our wonderful applicants who, who uh, would be deserving of bursaries well thank you very much I think that's a wonderful way to finish our uh, insight into uh, to the first of the people at Brentwood School it's been lovely to talk to you today and I'm looking forward to catching up with more of the people thank you it's been really nice to speak to you too much appreciated That's it for this episode and thank you for listening. To find out more, check out the school website, brentwoodschool.co.uk. Now, our next episode is coming out soon. So in the meantime, don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.